I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 238, and we are back with our weekly rut radio mini-series in which we are hearing from hunters from all across the country about the current deer activity, behavior, uh, rep progress, sign, and the tactics that are actually helping people right now. Real quick before we get this one started, though, a couple announcements I want to share with you. Number one, as most of you probably know from hearing past podcasts, I and Wired Hunt have become involved with Steve Rinella's new company, Meat Eater Inc. A lot of exciting things going on there. If you heard our podcast, I think it was 2.15 that Steve was on. I explained exactly what's happening. I also posted a video on YouTube explaining in more detail why I decided to do this, what that means, where and how my content's going to live into the future. Make sure to check out the Wired Hunt YouTube channel to see that, but Tied into that is the fact that the new season of the Meat Eater TV show just premiered on October 2nd on Netflix as a Netflix original, which is a which is a really big deal. This is the first hunting show ever to be a Netflix original. So I'm excited about that. The whole team's excited about that. And if you heard last fall about my caribou hunt that I went on with Steve, that hunt is now on Netflix. It's two episodes. I just watched them last night. And wow, Steve and the production team did an incredible job of of telling that story in in what I think was just a really beautiful, moving, powerful way. I mean, it was it was super cool. Maybe I'm biased because I actually was on the trip, but um, man, I was excited to see that. I think you guys will enjoy it too, especially if you heard me, you know, share the story of that experience in the podcast. Actually, getting to see that now with your eyes, I think that might be pretty neat for you. So be sure to check it out. It's on Netflix now, the whole new season, 16 new episodes, and uh, like I said, I've only seen two episodes so far, but they're great. I'm sure the rest are going to be a lot of fun too, so go on over to Netflix, give those a watch. We would certainly appreciate that. Now, the other announcement is that our partners over at First Light are running a sale on a bunch of their whitetail gear, and if you're listening to this on the day this podcast drops, this is October 3rd. 
2018. That sale is going on today, but today is the last day it's on, and you get up to 30% off a bunch of their whitetail essential pieces, stuff like uh, their hybrid sawtooth vest, stuff like their catalyst pants that I've been wearing, a um, bunch of neat products. Check it out. If you've been wanting to try First Light, this sale is a great opportunity to do it. Today is the last day, though. October 3rd is the last day. So head on over to firstlight.com to try some of that gear out. And that will do it for these couple of announcements. On to the show. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx, and we're here again for another episode of the Rut Radio mini-series that uh, my good buddy and producer Spencer Newharth is running the show on. Spencer, thank you for uh, carrying more of the burden even than usual over the last couple of weeks as I've been glomping all over the nation in the back of my truck. <laughs> I finally have a microphone. Yeah, that's all right. I... Uh... Very jealous of the the trips you were on, but now it's gonna be flipped around. Where I'm gonna be hunting all the time, and you're gonna be the guy sitting at a computer. Yeah, it's time for you to cash in your wife vacation days, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. They have been accumulating. <laughs> that's good. That's good, man. I uh, I'm excited because you know my whitetail season started at the beginning of September in Montana and North Dakota. But it doesn't really feel like it's officially started until the at-home season is kicked off. And that, that happened yesterday. It's, it's now really hunting season because Michigan hunters are out there. <laughs> so uh, my, my excitement level is at, a, at an all-time high now. And the Rut Radio episodes then for me even get more interesting because I need that up-to-date intel too. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, Michigan as well as much of the Midwest and much of the South uh, just opened either yesterday or this weekend. So uh, a lot of this stuff is becoming more relevant to the rest of the nation. Yeah, so as we do on every Rut Radio episode, you've been collecting updates from folks all across the country. Uh, Who are we going to hear from today and where are these folks at? We start off in Nebraska with Bryce Lamley from Sitka Gear, and then in Pennsylvania from Flatline Whitetails is Tyler Kravitz, and then we talk to Gray Drummond from Florida Outdoor Experience in Florida, and then in Kentucky from Dream Chasers Hunt is Colton Clemens. Awesome. Now, from people you've spoke to so far, is there anything you're picking up as far as a trend or anything that you've just been hearing with your other conversations? Yeah, so this kind of goes back to last week and brings in this week as well as some reports that I've had on Rutfresh, but it sounds like across the country that sign making is kind of ahead of schedule. Uh, As you and I record this, Mark, it's October 2nd, and this would typically be the time, I think, for most guys that you would just start to see some scrapes or rubs show up, um, maybe not even yet, where things would get really hot a few weeks from now. But like I said, um, from the reports I've been hearing, there's been a lot more sign making that has shown up in the woods in 2018. A result of that, um, I'm not totally sure. Some of the people I talked to uh, got hammered with EHD like five or six years ago, and so Maybe the age class is now to a to a point where there's a lot more bucks around, uh, mature bucks that are doing some rub making, or excuse me, some scrapes, whereas that's something that you maybe would have noticed over this last half decade or so. Another reason could be that a lot of the country uh, has had precipitation over this last month or so, and I'm not sure that it's ever been proven or verified by any biologists or anything like that, but a lot of hunters 
tend to think that there's a correlation between the ground being soft and scrapes showing up. And so with a lot of the country having precipitation in September, that could be another cause as well as uh, the the increase in sign making for this early in the season. Hmm. Very interesting. I don't know if I'd heard that theory before. I, I had heard that, you know, oftentimes a buck will want to go freshen up a scrape after a rain, but I hadn't heard that maybe that increased precipitation just leads to more scrape production in general. So um, I'm intrigued, Spencer Newharth. I am intrigued. Um, I can't say that I've seen that yet this year. Myself, over the last week, I did, like I mentioned, you know, Michigan season kicked off, and I did see a few light rubs when I was heading out to my stand last night. So there's a little bit of that. Um, haven't seen any scrapes made, but I do have a cell phone camera pointing on a, like a scrape tree that I put out in the middle of a food plot. And I've had a good number of deer hitting that, not necessarily scraping it up yet, but smelling the licking branch. Um, so I think there'll be plenty more to come here soon, but that's interesting to hear that folks are seeing that too. So is that something that you've manipulated and added some sense or anything, or you just have the camera waiting on that tree for a deer to open it up themselves? So usually what I do, what I did in this case was I went out there, I placed the tree where I wanted it in a licking branch at the right height where I wanted it, and then I kicked up some dirt underneath it. Um, and in the past, I've put scent on the ground. Or sorry, not scent on the ground. I put scent on the licking branch. This year I didn't do that, but I do always pee in the scrape, leave a little bit of a human urine, which eventually just smells like ammonia, which deer just kind of pick up as, as urine. Um so lots of times I've, I've read and I've used it myself. It works just fine. Just use your own uh, non or totally natural scent. So that's what I did in this case. Um, that's the scent I've used. But I did last night when I left my tree stand, um, I was picked up on ATV and I brought a little rake out and I didn't rake up the scrape and just had it kind of opened up a little bit more. So it looks like it's been freshened up recently by an aggressive deer. And I'm hoping that's going to trigger even more activity at that location. Well, I have a blog post that was posted on August 29th on Rutfresh. I think you should go check out as well as some others. And I talked about why you should start using mock scrapes earlier in the season. And I referenced this study that this guy did from Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine back in the late 80s and early 90s. And basically he had this um, penned deer population. And over four years, he would have control years where he made no scrapes. And then he would have the scrape years where he created the scrapes. Uh, and during those scrape years, he would uh, witness like dozens and dozens of scrapes that were worked and visited by bucks by September 26. I think the one year it was like 30-something that scrapes had shown up in the woods when he started those scrapes in early September. Uh, and then the years where he did not create any scrapes, he would only witness like one or two at the end of September. So by starting those scrapes early... Uh, it seems like you can actually kind of disrupt the social behavior in the woods with those bucks and they'll start visiting those scrapes as well. Now that might not necessarily help you kill a deer or even get them moving in daylight better, but if you're someone who likes scrapes for the purpose of inventory or learning where these deer are traveling, uh, that's something that can be really crucial that you can use in September that maybe other hunters aren't doing. Oh man, I 100% agree. That is my number one most important trail camera tactic now. I, I even put my cameras mostly on scrapes or historical past scrapes or new mock scrapes that I create. I start that even 
in late August. Like if I'm in a spot where I can't put out mineral or bait or anything like that to get trail camera pictures in the summer, I'll just put licking, put these cameras on licking branches and I still get bucks coming and checking those. And then definitely once September hits, almost all of my cameras are on either a real scrape or mock scrape tree in a field um, or pulling down a licking branch in the woods. Uh, it, there's no better way to get consistent pictures that I've found. Um, assuming you don't want to put corn or bait or something out there. That, of course, gets a lot of deer to one location. But otherwise, licking branches and scrapes are the way to go. So I'm on board. For sure. Well, I think we'll have plenty of more sign-making sign talk uh, over this next month of Rut Radio. But for now, let's get to the October 3rd episode. Let's do it. Before we get to our first update, let's pause for a word from our sponsors at Whitetail Properties. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Andrew Schultz, a land specialist out of Illinois. And Andrew is going to be telling us about what to look for when buying a piece of ground with intentions of putting in a small pond. Yeah, it's really attainable. And there's a lot of people that look to do that when they're searching for a piece of ground or the right piece of ground. And uh, a large part of that is what are you intending to use the pond for? I mean, is this pond going to be something that you can fish with your kids or grandkids um, when you come out to visit the property? Or is this pond going to be the pond that your dream home overlooks when you're building on this property? So first identifying what it is that you're putting the pond in for. Um, So once you've done that, location is everything. Obviously, if the pond serves a purpose for wildlife, you want it in the best location to do so, uh, where soil is also going to be relevant depth is going to be relevant. Drainage is another thing that's relevant. So um, once you've determined that uh, a property is the right one for you, you know, you've got lots of options as it relates to putting in a pond. Um, Just do your homework ahead of time and figuring out what you want to use it for, um, you know, the best purpose, and then how to go about achieving your goals. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Andrew currently has listed for sale, Visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Schultz. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. All right, and joining us on the line first is Bryce Lamley, an outdoor writer out of Nebraska. Now, Bryce, in Nebraska, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, I'm usually really conservative for you, but I'm actually going to say a 9 right now. In 38 years of serious bow hunting, this is the most early season scraping I've ever seen. And I think it might be a combination of being wetter than normal and and we've got a little bit of a strange age class on some of the properties I hunt. But it's uh, it's been just multiple big scrapes opened up and lots of them. Now, I don't hunt that far away from you. I'm in South Dakota. You are in Nebraska. Typically, I'm hardly right. seeing any scrapes at all this time of year. Are you seeing a lot of scrapes or just uh, a small number pop up, which is more than normal even? Well, let me give you an example. Last year, October 9th, I killed a nice buck and over a scrape, but I walked in with some scent on my boots and I opened that scrape up that night. It had not been hit. So that was October 9th last year. This year, starting around September 20th or so, these scrapes have been getting opened up and beat up and multiple visits, mostly at night. But it's it honestly, the scrape scenes on some of the properties or the two main properties that I hunt, it's just, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. 
Well, speaking of killing an ice block, you just did that. Uh, I believe it was last night. That was a, a great deer you got. Tell us a little bit about that hunt. Well, it, I was in kind of a pinch north of a, a small creek and just south of a dike and levee bordering a bean field. And, and it was kind of one of those almost perfectly wrong winds where it was going to be difficult for deer to get downwind of me if they wanted to visit these scrapes in kind of a staging area before they hit the beans. They've not been as much in the beans lately since the beans are starting to turn brown, but I still thought I might have a chance. And this buck was actually, he actually got out into the beans um, pair, or off the side of me. I didn't see him get into the beans, but then he was walking down the end rows about 30 yards away, which is a little far for my longbow. And just for grins, I thought I've got nothing else better to do and it was a little bit windy so i hit him with a snort uh, snort wheeze with my mouth and he immediately started scraping out in the bean field and he looked back hard twice and I, I hit him again when he started walking and he trotted away out of my vision down the andros and i thought well that's the end of that now he ended up coming back up over the dike into the little strip of woods i was in and tried to circle downwind of me and next time i saw him he was 10 yards away that was down in a scrape. Ordinarily, would you be uh, trying to call a buck in this early, or is it all that sign that you've seen in the woods that inspired you to snort wheeze in that deer? No, in fact, I don't even have my you know rattle bag and or carrying my rattling horns or anything like that right now because it's like you said, it's usually too early for me to even be thinking about that. I do see a lot of times uh, a lot of scrape activity starting to you know open up around October four to October 10, it seems like for me most years. So this is really, really early. And, and yeah, I, I just, I figured I had nothing to lose and by wheezing at this guy and I was just kind of dumbfounded by how he responded. Last season, uh, you had mentioned that a theme was kind of all the water. Um, not only that kind of delaying harvest and doing some other things, but also just changing the deer movement in general. And, and you had to kind of pattern them differently. Is that something you're still dealing with Dealing with in 2018? It's a different kind of water situation. It's actually been more consistently wet instead of the, the big, heavy, almost flood-like waters. And so this year, um, we just the, the ground has been wet a lot, and I think that's been more conducive to scraping. I don't think it's had much of a, as an effect on the deer movement like it did last year. Um, it has kept the farmers out of the field because I think they would already be well into the bean harvest right now and there's there's they're cutting some beans and i've even heard of a cornfield coming out but it's not i mean the, the farmers are kind of handicapped right now. a lot of states across the midwest are just opening for the first time here uh earlier this week or, or this coming week for those people who are just getting the stand for the first time uh you know explain to us bryce what your favorite setup is this time of year i am still uh, even though nebraska starts september 1st I would say between September 1st and October 5th or so, or October 10th, I'm not getting down into the woods very much at all. I'm hunting the uh, the edge or maybe some staging areas just outside the ag fields, um, looking for easy entry, easy exit, trying to learn what's going on and, and still give myself a chance without um, boogering up the inside of the woods too much. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Nebraska? 
I'm going to hope for it to still be a nine. And the reason I am saying I'm hoping it'll be that way is we've got a really weird weather week looking, uh, wrapping up this coming or coming up this week. It's just, I mean, it's supposed to be 90 tomorrow and then drop back down into the fifties and sixties and be wet six of the next seven days. And so it's, it's just going to be really unsettled. It looks like, but I think maybe a nine. Congrats on the great white tail, Bryce. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Spencer. All right, and joining us on the line next is Tyler Kravitz in Pennsylvania from Flatline Whitetails. Now, Tyler, in Pennsylvania, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I would say personally, uh, as far as the activity for myself, uh, I would say right around 7 to 8. I mean, every time I've been out so far, I've definitely seen uh, various bucks for sure. Um, So I would say it's it's definitely pretty good this year so far. For most hunters this time of year, there can be a, an awkward transition of food sources. Is that something you're seeing right now in Pennsylvania, that you're having uh, a lot of natural browse available and, and losing some of those big egg fields? You know, uh, something for this year that I've noticed is uh, more than any years in past, um, a lot of the, the bucks that we're hunting, um, I think, are feeding in this cornfield and working their way out of these, this cornfield because there's a lack of ag this year in surrounding areas. So, with that being said, hunting a transitionary coming out, it's kind of perfect. I haven't seen a lot of them switching their summer patterns yet, so everything is kind of going how we want it to as far as right now. How about for some of those natural food sources? Are you finding that this year has a solid acorn crop or not? I would say personally uh, in our surrounding areas, um, as far as the acorns go this year, all of the oak stands I know of, uh, the red oaks, there's definitely a, a decent amount of red oaks, but not as many as years in the past. Uh, the, the problem that we run into is we have hundreds and hundreds of acres of, of state ground around us that is all solid oak trees. So, you know, in order to hunt these deer and, and be able to hone in on it in acorns, it's tough unless you can find a producing white oak, in which I do not know where any are this year that are producing that are white oaks. You mentioned maybe doing a morning setup, focusing on that cornfield. What would a morning setup look like for you trying to get one of these hit list bucks? Typically what I'm going to try to do when I, when I get into this in the morning, uh, you know, when these deer are feeding in this cornfield, a lot of times they're going to leave your food source before daylight. So with that being said, what you want to do is you want to get into a transition area halfway between food to cover. And a lot of this time, a lot of these times what you can do is you can catch them in daylight coming back into the bedding area without having to get into the bedding area and disturb it unless need be. Are you seeing much for sign making at this point? Actually, uh, you know, lately I have started noticing a lot of scrapes and stuff like that. So they're definitely hitting a lot of scrapes around field edges and whatnot. Um, as far as our cameras are showing us, too, they're starting to hit scrapes as well. So I would say, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of sign. Are there any weather patterns coming up in these next few weeks that get you excited uh, now that all of Pennsylvania is open for deer hunting? As far as for the, the next week's uh, weather on my phone, what it's shown me, uh, it looks like it's actually going to get warmer. So unfortunately, I feel as if that's not going to be too good. But as far as tonight's looking, it looks like we're pretty good. We got some rain coming in, stuff like that. So it should be overcasty. As far as the evening hunt goes, it should move a little bit earlier this evening. On that note then, what do you think that buck activity is going to be in Pennsylvania on a scale of 1 to 10 over this next week? I would say if you're hunting unpressured whitetails, you know, where, where they're not getting a lot of the, the crowd of other people and whatnot, um, it might not change a whole lot, but I would say at the tail end of this week, then gears are definitely going to start switching. I would say deer activity this week would be right around the five as far as good movement. 
Alright Tyler, well good luck to you and the other guys at Flatline Whitetails. Look forward to seeing what you come up with this fall. Thanks for joining me. Alrighty, thank you. Alright, and joining me on the line next is Colton Clemens from Dream Chasers Hunt in Kentucky. Now Colton in Kentucky, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, right now here lately it's probably been um, anywhere between a 6 and a 7. Uh, the acorns have really, really fallen uh, here lately, and the deer have. We had a big cold front blow through last weekend, and I had a lot of deer show up, and uh, a lot of daylight activity, and they was hitting acorns pretty hard here recently. You mentioned the large amount of acorns. How does that compare to years past? Uh, this year has been quite a bit more than normal. We had a lot of rain early in the spring, and I think that really, really bumped them, and. It's just been, they were falling from the trees Saturday and Sunday. It sounded like it was raining. You guys in Kentucky, uh, you've been hunting for over a month now. So how have your setups changed uh, from maybe mid-September until now, early October? Um, mid or Early in September to mid-September, we're pretty much sitting on food sources, uh, bean fields. And in Kentucky, it's legal to bait. So a lot of people hunt over corn piles. Um uh, as we get into October, it's going to change. Um, probably going to set up on ridges, acorn, oak ridges, and uh, scrapes, rub lines. It's going to get pretty hot here pretty soon. Well, you just mentioned scrapes and rub lines. Have you been seeing any sign making in the woods yet? Um, a little bit. Uh, starting to, not a whole lot, but uh, here within the next few weeks it should pick up. Well, you just killed a great buck here a few nights ago. Congrats with that. Tell us a little bit about that hunt and a little bit about that setup. Um, we hunted, well, it's on an oak flat. I hunted Saturday. The pressure was sky high. I think it was uh, 30.24. And um, I actually didn't see a deer Saturday afternoon at all. Uh, so I was pretty discouraged about that with the spot I was sitting at because it's usually pretty good. And, uh, didn't even know if I wanted to hunt Sunday, but I had a good wind, so we decided to go back in there. Uh, the pressure was a little lower Sunday than it was Saturday, and from 5 o'clock until I shot the deer, we was absolutely just covered up in deer every direction. There was deer everywhere. And so you are attributing that deer movement to the pressure change? I would think so. Um yeah, I mean, it was 30.15, I think, Sunday. It wasn't as high as it was Saturday. I think that had a little to do with it. The weather, the temperatures were a little warmer, actually, Sunday, but um, for some reason, the deer, everybody I talked to didn't see hardly anything Saturday, but Sunday, they were just seeing a ton of deer. Now, most places in the Midwest, uh, the combines are getting started going. Will that change much for you guys in, in your part of Kentucky with that large acorn crop, or won't you see much of a difference? Mm, most of the corn here is being harvested or already harvested. The beans are still standing. They should be starting on them when the ground dries up. But I would say most people are going to be hitting ridges this year because the acorns are just crazy amount this year. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Kentucky? Going through this next week, I don't know. The weather 
uh, here, I don't know about anywhere else in Kentucky, but here in the, between the southwest and south central, it's uh, it, it probably stays the same because the weather really isn't going to change much. It's still gonna, it's going to be hot actually, and the pressure is not going to be very high. But it wouldn't hurt to be out in the woods. I mean, it's it's going to get pretty good here soon. Congrats again on the great buck. I look forward to seeing what else you guys come up with the Dream Chasers hunt. Thanks for joining me, Colton. I appreciate it. All right, and joining me on the line next is Gray Drummond from Florida Outdoor Experience in Florida. Now, Gray, in Florida, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, I think it started out as a 9, but within this last week in full moon, it um, I think it's down to about a 4. So we're anticipating it to go back um, up in the uh, in the coming week, hopefully. <laughs> now, in your part of Florida, you guys are in peak rut right now. Is that correct? We are. We um, we hit the rut um, about a week and a half ago. Um, on the first part of this moon, I think might have triggered it. But um, and and we're seeing just a lot of chasing. Um, it's an it's exciting time to be out there. It's just uh, ninety two degrees, <laughs> so it, it's tough. And how was the timing of this year's rut played out uh, versus other seasons? You know, I've seen it this time um, in my past, um, but it, it seems like it might be a week, week and a half early from what I have in my books um, on my calendar, but that's okay. Um, it's always nice when it's a little closer to um, a little further in the fall, you know, with the, just comfort um, as far as the weather goes. But, um, hey, we'll take it when we can get it, and it's it's been active, so it's been exciting. You referenced the full moon a little bit earlier. Uh, what are some moon phases that you're looking for this time of year when the rut is really going, or do you think the moon doesn't quite matter as much? Well, one thing about it, we're going to hunt regardless. <laughs> you know, I, uh, sometimes we find ourselves spending so much time on what moon phase is, is going on and everything, and then uh, and we tell ourselves, shoot, we're going to go out there <laughs> regardless of what it is. So, um, But I, I think uh, just before the full moon is probably my favorite time. It seems like everything's really active and moving. Um, uh, it, it kind of um, correlated with the um, with the start of our rut here this time of year or this this particular year, and um, that's generally my favorite time just before the full moon. Uh, but it's definitely been tricky this last week, I would say. Now, I imagine one of the challenges you guys face every year is the precipitation. Uh, you guys have had quite a bit of water this year as well, correct? We have, we have, we've dodged the hurricanes, but um, we've had quite a bit of rainfall, record rainfall for us, and the majority of our woods. We have a little over ten thousand acres that we utilize here, and um, I would say fifty percent of that's flooded. So it's been challenging, but um, you know, if you can target the high ridges, um, find some <clears throat> some um, oaks um, on the high ridges, then you, you you know that's that's what we're trying to target right now. Um, the mornings obviously are a little more comfortable. It is getting down to around in the upper 60s at night, so it's not unbearable to hunt the mornings. Um, you know, we're trying to. My strategy when we have hunters in is in the morning time. You don't obviously want to bust the deer off the the feed pattern, so we'll try to maybe set up some strategic uh, ambush spots. You know, them coming back from feeding, um, going back to bed. I would say other than this last week, it's been a very successful year for us so far. Talking about those flooded properties, uh, how do the deer respond once that water does recede? Are they moving back in there pretty quickly, or is there a little bit of a lag period uh, 
where they're not necessarily working that 50% as soon as the water's gone? Well, the way it is right now, that's a good question. Um, most of the time when it does flood, the majority of our rain is hitting us in, uh, in August, first part of September, and, uh, you know, it, it won't recede, um, I would say, until about mid-December. Um, once that happens, the majority of our acorns have either rotted or dried up. You know, they're starting to hit feed. You can't hunt over feed in Florida or attractants. They, they, it obviously, the deer obviously spread out more. It makes it a bit more challenging, but it kind of correlates with the acorns and the um, you know, natural fruit, so to speak, drying up too. So we're able to just move from targeting the high ridges once it dries up into focusing on our, our um, attractants. Has this been a normal year for you guys as far as the acorn crop goes, or are you seeing an abundance there in Florida? We, we seem to always have a pretty good acorn crop, but I would say this year has been an abundance, and it's been early, too, for us. It's, it's come in about uh, three weeks early. Uh, I, have, I don't recall seeing the quantity of acorns on the ground as, as I've seen this year, um, and that, that has made it a bit challenging. How about with sign making? You guys being in peak rut there, uh, are those scrapes and rubs still relevant and, and something that you're keying in on or not? It's, it's They're starting to phase out. Um, I'm seeing a few of them still being hit, but um, I'm not seeing any real, I would say, fresh or new signs. Um, so it's, it's starting to, to phase out, definitely. Cool. But cool. Uh, in, in Florida, we have several different ruts. So this is the first one, and it's one of the few states, if not, not the only, that will, they will rut throughout the season. Um, so it's you, know, you can find a rut in August, and you can also find a rut um, similar to Alabama's in um, late January. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Florida? Well, I can't speak for all of Florida, but I know in our part of Florida, with it being in the rut, I anticipate it to be an 8 from what I'm seeing on camera. So if they can just shift their feed patterns into a little bit uh, more daylight, then, then it'll definitely be an eight or higher. All right, Gray. Well, thanks for joining me, and good luck to all your hunters at Florida Outdoor Experience. Thank you very much. Have a good one. And that concludes this week's episode of Wired to Hunt's Rut Radio. Thanks to Bryce, Tyler, Gray, and Colton for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. As always, follow Wired to Hunt on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow me, Spencer Newharth, and Rutfresh on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Happy October to everybody, and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.